Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. We are here with Chris Dukowski. And what are we talking about today, Chris? Uh, I'm going to teach you three ways to understand your game's audience. Three ways. So more than one way to understand it. All right. I will. uh, Let's get this up here for you and go ahead. All right. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for attending my talk, everybody. Uh, Really glad to to, to teach you all today. So um, I'll just kind of start it off. I mean, one of the best things I saw... Best marketing I saw. I, I had a fix toilet about weeks ago, and the marketing I've ever seen was this. I, uh, this is the float, and uh, Apes Plumbing, uh, local Phoenix small business here, uh, was wise enough to print the name of their company and their phone number on the top of the little float. So uh, when I was uh, trying to wrangle my uh, my toilet into commission here. Uh, of course, I saw the best uh, little placement here. And, and kind of part of the reason this works so well is uh, they understood their audience and they understood my needs. Like they knew exactly when to call them. Now, um, we call this in marketing right person, right message, right time. And they hit all those numbers right at the right place. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, plumbing. Uh, right time. This is broken. It was actually that handle that was broken. And uh, the right person was me. Now, I was I, I fixed it. I, I didn't need Apes Plumbing. I didn't have to give them a call, but uh, it was just a perfect example of everything that was, uh, you know, what we should do when we're marketing. Now it's easy when you're a plumber uh, because you know when to contact your audience. It's it's when they have a plumbing emergency. We don't have that luxury as game designers. Um, we can't just uh, nobody really needs a video game at, like at the right time. So. Uh, we have to be a little bit craftier with our audience and trying to figure out who they are and when to contact them. So um, that's what I'm going to show you today is kind of how to do that. And because uh, finding your audience is really, really tricky. Um, you know, a lot of times people say, well, who's your audience? And you're like, oh, it's definitely gamers or hardcore gamers or casual gamers. I'm, I'm sorry, but those aren't the right answers. That's too gener- generic. It's probably incorrect. You'd be surprised how uh, how incorrect you are about who your audience actually is. So I'm really going to kind of get you through and teach you how to, to actually figure these people out. Um, I know we've all been in meetings before like this, sitting around a table discussing like how we're going to design our game or how we're going to market it. And there's always this one person in the meeting. Uh, it's, it's always this guy with the jacket. It always is. If you're, if you're that person, you know, fess up. You can fess up in the comments. I won't, I won't rake you across the coals too much. But they, they always say, uh, well, if I were the user or I, I know when I look for games, here's the thing is that is not appropriate. We are not 
our audience for our games. Even though we like to play games, we're not the audience. So that is not going to cut it. So what I'm going to show you really is how to get around that so we're not just saying, well, if I were the user or if I'm going to get a game, this is what I would do. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to follow along, uh, make a fake game, and just kind of like go step by step of how we would learn the audience for a fake game that we theoretically would build. So that's what I'm going to do for the rest of this talk is kind of go through that. Um, really what I want to teach you all how to do is to really observe your audience like you're, like you're some sort of a scientist you're some sort of anthropologist really watching and seeing how a community builds. And that's really what I want to get you all to the point of doing, not just saying, well, if I were the user, I would do this. Um, so here's basically what we're going to learn here. Um, I'm going to break it down to before, during, and after, because that's just nice and easy. It's three. Everybody knows what three is. Uh, we're going to do before development, like how to determine if you're even going to make the right game for the right type of person. Um, during development, like how to figure out who your people are and what they want to hear. What This is like what to tweet about. And then how to play test your game to make sure that it, it actually functions how you want it to. And then after release, how to keep people from lying to you when you say, hey, what do you want us to do next? What kind of DLC do you want? We're gonna, we're gonna teach you how not to be lied to. It's not that they're mean, they just, they just don't know any better. So we're gonna teach you how to do that too. Okay, so that's me. Um, I'm an indie game designer. Uh, that's my uh, games website. I'm also a, a marketing and strategy consultant. I, I teach other companies how to uh, do what I talk about here. Uh, my site is howtomarketagame.com. Um, this is my game. I, I battle test everything. I, I, I'm like a doctor that tests every treatment on myself before I do, do it for anybody else. So you can be tried and true. I would never recommend something I wouldn't do myself. So that's why I uh, always uh, try and publish my own games too. Um, these are some of the clients that I've had uh, recently um, that I help strategize and, and do very similar to what I'm going to show you today. I, this is what I would do for them too. So um, in good, good hands. Um, I came from a background of UX, which is where I, I kind of get this passion for users. Uh, I used to work for the airlines. This is a bunch of people getting ready to board a flight to Chicago. And so I would analyze how computer systems work and how to make them easier for these gate agents who were trying to get people on onto Chicago back when we could actually go to Chicago. Okay, so uh, let's start at the beginning here. Before development, we're going to really look at how to determine who is going to buy your game and if you're picking the right audience. Now, I don't always get in to get to design games or to design the marketing strategy before, but I wish people would more often. But we're going to show you, if you are making your own game or just thinking about it, how you can do that. So let's take a look here. You know, all people, as a marketing consultant, I get these questions all the time, like, what should I tweet about? What hashtag should I use? Let me tell you, this kind of stuff is way, way ahead of the, the, the game. You've got you to dial it back a little bit and look really at this at this. Now there's something called the marketing mix, marketing mix, which is promotion, product, place and price. Now, promotion, which is the stuff of like what do I tweet about? That's marketing. Yeah, but it's like such a little tiny bit of marketing. Uh, really most of your marketing is is the, these other parts, product, place and price. It's it's all that stuff that built up to the promotion. So if you're just focused on what do you tweet about, you're missing like so much. So really let's take a look at this stuff here. Um, if you say I'm making a visual novel on Steam for $20, that is marketing. That's your product, your place, and your price right there. It's it, That's a solved problem that you've already committed to way before you've even tweeted about your game. Let me show you and why this is so important and why this is the most important marketing that you're going to do is that product, place, 
and price. So, um, for example, here, Steam Game Festival, this was in June. Uh, they had a festival uh, where you could upload a demo to Steam, and then people would play it and then wishlist the game if they liked it. So it's a kind of a good way to determine if somebody liked a game or not. And so what I did was, after the festival, I reached out to as many game developers who would be willing to share their data, and I asked them, during the, this festival, how many wishlists did you get? And I got a bunch, I got 53 responses back from different game developers from across genres, all different ones. And I could see like, okay, different genres, these are the different products. How many wish lists? How many people were interested in it? And so I graphed it. And as you can see, these are the median number of wish lists per game. Now, as you can see, Steam favors very specific types of games. Strategy by a mile, RPG, simulation, and adventure. The other ones, not so popular with Steam. And this is just, it doesn't matter what marketing you do. Like I don't, like if you picked a platformer, it doesn't matter how many emojis you put in your social media, like how much you tweet emojis out at people and talk about your game, you are already at a deficit by picking a product that Steam does not favor. So that's why I say it is the most important marketing to kind of figure out your product and the place where you're selling it. Steam favors kind of strategy RPG type of games. So you have to understand that before you get in there. So really, you've got to understand your product place and price before you even talk about promotion. So what I'm going to do is show you how to really judge product place and price. That way you're actually being really smart about the marketing and not just thinking about the promotion side. So let's take a look here. Okay. When you say, you know, people always ask, when should I start marketing? We say immediately. But you've actually started as soon as you decided what game to make. You've already started marketing, whether you wanted to or not. You're marketing. It's just where you're going to sell your game. So let's figure out your target market here. Let me show you what, what, what's going on here. So, like, okay, if you make a strategy game, yeah, everybody's going to pick that. But um, there are certain games that you might not be a strategy fan. And I'm not just saying everybody make a strategy game because that's the most popular. It's really up to you. So uh, what I like to do is think of what game you're going to pick like this. So here's the universe of all possible games, mobile, whatever. There's going to be games that you like, and then there's going to be games that you can actually make. Like not all of us can make an MMO, so there's going to be a subset of games that you can actually be able to make. Um, and then there's games that the market want. So this is like those Steam columns that were actually above above water, right? Um, and that little magic zone right in the middle there, that is the game that we should make. So really, you're not just picking the most popular one, you're picking the game that kind of fits that magic circle so that you can dance with your games. So now, uh, games you like, that's easy. We could figure out that. You just search your heart, search your soul, search your mind, and you find the games that you like. The games you're able to mark, uh, to, to actually make, it's somewhat easy. It depends on how honest you are with yourself. Please be honest. You're not going to make that MMO. You're, you're just not. No, you, you can't make the MMO. And then uh, finally, this one, this circle is kind of hard. Um, but I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to show you how to figure out what games the market wants. Okay. So let's see what we do. How do we get this circle, the games that the market wants? Um, now, the goal here is um, we're going to try and figure out a range of games. We're going to find a, a, just a sort of a a class of games. I, I like to find like a dozen, 10 to a dozen games that, that kind of fit your range. Now I put these dollar amounts, uh, 500K, 30K. It depends on what your what, what your burn rate is, how, how many people are in your studio. Oh, there's so many factors. I can't really do it. But what you're trying to do is just understand the marketplace for where you're going to go. So uh, we're trying to find like, what's the game that you could make that has, and how much does that kind of earn versus the low tier? So you can kind of see kind of generally where your game might land. 
Um, you're just trying to get this general sense of your games market, who your companions are on this uh, this quest to make games. So um, all these this data that I'm showing here is from two guys uh, that have kind of taken this, and that what they do is they've scraped Steam. They they've visited every single Steam page, and they've actually downloaded the data of uh, like how many reviews, uh, the the link of the thing of all the games on Steam. There's about forty four thousand games on Steam, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually not as many as people think. So they've they've scraped this data. You could follow them. They do great stuff on data analytics of of the Steam marketplace. And these guys have done some great work. Now, um, Sergio has put together the site, and I put the URL down there at the bottom. Um, that you can go there and you can see this. And he's you can dissect Steam and see all this stuff. It's really great. A lot of tools. My favorite one is this one, and it's this way to search all Steam games. And, and let me show you how you can use this. So what we're trying to do here is we're not trying to get a precise number. This is not going to be your budget. This is not to like determine how many sales you are. We're just kind of looking at how much a game of this uh, that you're looking at kind of makes. Is it like a thousand dollar game? Like did it earn a thousand dollars? Did it earn you a ten thousand dollars or like ten million? We're just trying to get orders of magnitude here. Uh, that's just so that we can kind of gauge like how much the market wants this game. So what we do is we use his tool, and you can type in a little right up here where it says turn-based tactics. Like let's say we're making that strategy game that I talked about at the beginning. You type in a, a tag, a Steam tags their games. So you do like a strategy game, and then it'll return a bunch of results. And what you do is you kind of look at these numbers here on the right-hand side, how much revenue they are, and you kind of look at the top of the list. You start at the top, and you just start looking at the bottom. And he links on the left-hand side. He links to the game. Uh, Steam page. So you can kind of start gauging those games and say, okay, here's what a game that earned uh, $3 million in its first year, three to 10 million. Yes, it's a wide range, but again, we're looking at orders of magnitude. And then you kind of look at the game to see what the game looks like. Uh, you can download it and play it. And you're really, what you're trying to do is just kind of gauge that. And so what you do is you just keep scrolling through the data and you try and find those, uh, those levels that are, you're comfortable with as far as how much it would earn. And so you're kind of like seeing what the market is. And you'll start to recognize kind of trends like games that earn about this have this level of quality. Games that earn at the bottom have really low quality. And games that are right in the middle have a certain level of quality. And what you're trying to do is just understand and get a sense of what those type of games are. And so what I do is after that, I find a series of games that I think represent games that I could possibly make and have an earning potential that, I, that I'm actually comfortable with. And I start playing them, and I reach out to the dev teams. I say, "Hey, how successful was it?" And, you know, and not everybody's going to answer that, but have try and communicate with them, find out more about them, and then also answer that very important question: Could my team make this? Could we actually get this done? Um, and then I also try to look for games that are out of place. I look for games that are really look great. They look so so awesome, and their marketing was great, but they didn't earn that much, or they had a lower tier, not many reviews. And so you can kind of say what went wrong here and play that game and try and dissect what went wrong. And then look at games that, like, this game doesn't look like a top earner, but it's earned so much. Kind of figure out what they did right, what their marketing was, and, and really just kind of understand the market there. Play them, test them out, see, see what's good about them. Um, and then watch out. Um, Steam has cha changes its algorithms all the time. Games before 2018, just put a little asterisk on those. Some of those games, uh, they might earn more than they do now just because of the way the algorithm has changed. Indie games, it's a different marketplace after 2018. There were some major algorithm changes. So just be aware of that it's better to look at more recent games than the older ones. Um, and basically what this is, if you do this and you just kind of understand your market, you're going to save years of developing the wrong game. 
again, it's those bottom three tiers. Uh, so what you want to do is what are your sales goals? And I know like if you ask people like how, how much do you want to earn? You're like, um, you know, like what do you expect out of earning this game? And you say, um, Minecraft money. Like, I think we're going to earn a billion. I don't, I don't know. Like you, you just can't trust that. You can't just hope wishes and dreams. It's better to say, Hey, we think based on the quality and the amount of debt that we can afford, um, that we can hit around a 50,000 to 250,000 earnings based on the games that we've researched. You're really just being able to dial in how much that is because you've done the homework. You've found games that not everybody's talking about, but actually performed very well. That's kind of what you're looking for. Okay, so what if we're already one year in development and you didn't talk to me before this? That's okay. It's still valuable to do this because you can anticipate, hey, we made, we're making a puzzle game, which as you can see by the Steam traffic and the number of wishlist games that our puzzle games make, aren't that great. Now, you can start gauging what those other puzzle games are. It's important to do this so that you can say, hey, maybe we should cut a bunch of features. Maybe we should try and get this game out now and then see how the market takes to it and then add it as DLC or something because you could probably uh, really make some changes based on what you've seen in the past. So that is how you analyze before development how, who is the type of person that's going to buy your game, what the marketplace wants. It's really a great exercise to kind of get that sense. But once you kind of start development, which is where we are here, I want to do three things. I want to figure out what kind of what the people want to hear about your game, and then how to survey your audience, and how to play test your game. Okay, so let's do this. You're, you started working on your game, and uh, we're marketing them immediately. And so what do you want to talk about? Like, what do we tweet about? What do we send emails about? How do we, how do we talk to our, our fans? What do they want to hear? And the most important thing is marketing is not a sleazy con. It's not like a car salesman where you're like strong arming and just buying something they don't want. You say what your audience wants to hear, kind of like apes plumbing and, and putting it in the toilet tank. That's actually when I, <laughs> what I wanted to hear at that moment, just like this guy right here. I mean, that's that perfect message at the perfect time. But unfortunately, it's really hard to figure out what your audience wants. It's because we make video games, right? So back to jacket guy here, um, you know, that always says, well, if I were the user, I, I know when I look for games, I do this. You don't. Like, we're not the typical Steam customer. I mean, listen to, look at yourself. Just look at yourself right here. You are watching a marketing talk about video games. Like, you could be literally playing games right now. Like, most gamer has the good sense to not be watching marketing talks. They're, they're actually playing games. So by that very fact, you are not the typical user. So you have no right to saying, well, if I were the user, I would do this. You've just invalidated that by watching this talk. So I'm sorry, we were invalidated. We're not there. But that's okay. Let's, let's, let's look at this. So the, the reason is that in all my research of game players, like actual games, they play so many more games than I play. Like, I don't even have time to play the games because I'm so busy making them. So they know genres better than we do. And let me show you, there's ways we can do this uh, to understand what they actually like. Um, and this goes back to an old marketing axiom, which is, if you can state the problem better than they can, they will trust you. And it's kind of like, the, you know, those infomercials where they have those black and white where people are like tripping over themselves. That's exactly what it is. It's like, they're just stating problems that we all know and have, they, they amp them up to 100. But it really is a way of, of kind of approaching and, and, and lightening it up with a, with a user to state their problem for, the, for them. And they're like, yes, that is exactly me. I do. I don't know what that guy with the oh no is. I think he's got hot water or something, I hope. So whatever that is, uh, we have all had problems like that. So um, you, you're saying, well, we make video games. Uh, 
people don't have problems. Well, you've obviously never spent enough time on Steam because people have tons of problems with games on Steam. So this is actually where we're going to start. We're going to look at reviews to see what people have problems with and how they talk about games. So what I do is, again, remember that back to our research where we found those kind of 10, those half dozen games that uh, are kind of our target that kind of represent the range of where we're comfortable with earnings. Um, we look at those Steam reviews for those games in that genre. And what we're going to do is we're going to go look at uh, the whole list, and you're going to read a lot of reviews. Um, and what you're looking for when you read these reviews is you're looking for like genre fault lines, and I'll explain what that is. You're going to look for genre conventions, like what do people who play a lot of these type of games just naturally expect. And then you're also going to write down the words that they use, because that is the type of text that they're going to listen for. So here's what I mean by genre fault lines. You might just think that you're making a strategy game, but there are sub, 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 sub type of strategy games. I was, I was reading one review for this uh, kind of like this um, kind of um, survival sim, and I'll show you what I mean. But I, it just seemed like a typical survival game. But they were like, I thought this was an open world farming simulator, but it really was just a simple survival game. Like, to me, those are the same type of game. But to fans of these genres, those are two totally separate things. And you have to learn those genre fault lines. And the reason is you want to market your game for the right person. You don't want to, you want to make it totally explicit in your marketing. Say, hey, we're not open world. We're not a farm simulator. You might tune your screenshots. You might, the, the copy that you use to describe your game, you would want to use things that say, this is not a farm simulator. Go somewhere else for your farm simulator. We are a survival game. Because you're going to get people upset because they thought they were buying one thing and not the other. That's why you look for these fault lines. And then for those words that trigger people to think that it's one type of game or the other. This is a very, very important thing that you need to do is understand your genre fault lines. Okay, conventions. Um, you want to understand what's typical with the genre. I, I was looking at a, uh, a, vi a visual novel that didn't sell that great. And I was looking at the, the type of reviews that I saw and said, uh, a lot of the negative reviews said, allow me to skip through dialogue I've never seen, I've seen before. And then they'll say, you, these are three separate reviews. You'll have to wait through all the dialogue again, even the ones with the, even if you enable fast text scrolling. And then the other one said, I wish there was a skip fast forward. Well, obviously, these people expect a convention of being able to skip dialogue they've read before. That's just a genre convention you have to include. So you can take that back both to your development team and also once you implement it to, to talk about it. And finally, look for the words they use. Um, I was looking through historical like 4X strategy games. And they love to talk about the history. They love saying about geography and history of these. So you know that those type of people love that type of stuff with those genres. That's what you're looking for, those words that they use. So what I do is I take a spreadsheet, and I put the hates and the loves. I split them up, nice red for the hates, green for the loves. And I copy some of that text that I see, and I put it in this chart. Because you're going to take this chart here, and you're going to use it in your marketing. Like when you write an email or a tweet, you're going to pull some of these keywords and things that they like and they don't like. So this is just a nice, handy thing to have for your marketing team so they know what to use when they're trying to talk about the game. So um, awesome. What, what magically happens after this is all this awesome text comes to you magically, and you just have to use it in your marketing copy. You don't really have to think too hard about how you're going to do uh, what you're going to write because they just gave it to you. So like, for instance, skip dialogue you've already seen. Like That's a feature. That's a bullet point that you can use because you read that people love to be able to skip dialogue text. Um, the other thing is like, you can kind of quote those guys and say, a game so accurate you could pass a high school world history class without studying. Again, we got this text because we read what the people were saying. That's all it is. Um, 
one thing, put a little warning if you're if you've got a separate designer and a marketer marketing team, leave your designers alone to work. This is not designed by community. I mean, yes, there are some features like the being able to skip dialogue text. That's important to bring to your design team. But if you're reading reviews like I hate that the guy had a blue shirt, don't force your designers to make them have blue shirts or red shirts because they hated blue shirts. Like let let them be creative. But um, you really what you're looking for are the words that they use and those features that are non-starters. Okay, so during development, um, next stage, how to survey your audience. Um, this is very important. This is one of the first things I do when I'm hired, and it's amazing. The results are always shocking to them. They are like, what? I had no idea. I thought we were marketing it this way, and now we need to change it this way. You can't, I don't even know how people market if you don't do this. Like, it, it, it just bothers my mind. So hopefully you've built up a community. Um, you've got a lot of people like either following me on Twitter or on Reddit. You've got a full Discord. Um, I I write a lot about marketing, and actually I've got this book that you can download for free. Uh, it tells you how to build a mailing list, how to build up a community that way. Uh, you can go to there and get a free book. Just head on over there. Um, but it teaches you how to build up that community because that'll really be a great way to send people to the survey. So I just use a Google form. You don't have to like get you know expensive survey monkey software. Just Use Google Forms, they're all free. You don't have to go crazy with it. And here's the questions I'd like to ask. What does our game remind you of? And what did you think about, what do you think you do in this game? Even if they've never played it, I ask this question. And what this does is this just tells you if your marketing is on point. If you think you're marketing one game and they say that you think that they think the game is something totally different, that's a red flag that you need to tune your marketing message. Super important to do. Indie Game Business has one of the longest-running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all their speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Like, this goes back to this uh, Steam review that we saw where he said, I thought I was making, I was, thought this was an open world farm simulator, but this was actually a survival game. This, those two questions will solve this problem ahead of the time before your game launches. So it's a very important question to do. Um, I don't ask gender or age. I find those questions like, even if you figure it out, it doesn't change my marketing or anything. I'm not gonna change the way I market based on that. I, it's just a, a worthless question. So I skip those questions. Don't I don't even bother doing it. I, nah. Okay, so number three, um, I ask um, what your favorite social media sites are. Um, this is just to help you prioritize which channels you use. Um, and I only let them pick one because everybody always signs up for all social media and then you get just random noise data because you don't know which one's their favorite. So I only let them pick one and always give them the option to say, I don't use social media. In my history, I, like, I've, I've done these surveys for a lot of different clients. Usually 15 to 20% of respondents say, I don't use social media, which I know. Again, remember, we are not the audience. We think that's weird. We, we're on Twitter all the time, right? Most. Uh, like a lot of people just don't even use social media. They're not always online. I know we can't even understand it. Those are normal people. Those are that's what normal people do. So 
we are not the audience. Just remember that. But ask that question just to make sure. Maybe you don't survey normal people. Who knows? Do it. Okay, so number four, how do you hear about us? This is just good just so that you know where your audience is coming from and then go back to that source where they said they came from and market to those people again. Market to that audience that lives on that site or if it came from some other influencer or something, go back to them and say, hey, a lot of people came from you. Let's work together closer. That sort of thing. That's where it's really helpful. Um, and number five, um, I asked, what were the last three, three games you played? And this goes back um, because you don't want to just, not everybody knows their genres, but if you talk about what their history is, it really helps understand it, uh, what they actually do, not just what they wish they did. Um, and then one thing I do is I always ask for their email address, and that's so that I can go back for a one-on-one -on -one, uh, call, because I think that's an, also an important thing that you need to do is talk to your audience one-on-one. -on -one. I'll get to that later in this talk. Okay, so now let's talk about playtesting your game. Um, this is this is super important, and you should do it as soon as possible, even if your game's not finished. So um, a lot of indie devs, for some reason, um, think that playtesting happens when you go to a convention, which boggles my mind. I think, here's where I think it came from. There was this super influential documentary called uh, Indie Game the Movie, and there was this sad man who was, like, trying to playtest his game on the floor, and it just was so, like, gut-wrenching and sad to watch him do this, but this is not when you should playtest it. And so I think this scene negatively influenced designers to think that they have to playtest their game on show floors. This was, it took place at PAX. But as a UX designer who studies how to watch people playtest a game, I cannot recommend against playtesting on a show floor more. Let me show you why. This is why I think you should not playtest your game on a show floor. Okay, one, conferences are so damn expensive. Like, the equivalent of playtesting, you can get some super good research for zero to $400, depending if you're willing to pay your participants, which is a good idea. But if you if you really can't afford it, you can do it for free. But you can do it for like 400 bucks. It is so cheap versus plane tickets and hotels and booth space and booth, you know, just, I don't know, you have to do posters and stuff. Who knows what you have to do? And number two is, on the show floor, it's, it's impossible for a controlled test. And this is very important. So I actually went to the PlayStation uh, UX research facility in California, and I got a tour of their campus. And I went, and this is their testing room. I didn't take this picture. This is from their presentation. This is their testing facility. This is where they play test games. If you'll notice, there is, it's just looks like a living room. It looks like somebody's, like, very boring. It looks like an Airbnb living room. It's, like, all IKEA furniture, but it's still a living room but they don't have any paraphernalia. You don't even see a PlayStation console. It's actually in that drawer. I know because I was snooping and I like opened the cage, the little drawer, and I saw there was a PlayStation inside there. They don't even put it out there. You don't even know if you're on a PlayStation. They don't want to bias their audience that much. There's no posters on the wall. It's not like they have a giant Kratos in the corner. They don't want you to see Sony paraphernalia anywhere. It is so blank in there that there's nothing that says, oh, this is a PlayStation thing, PlayStation thing. They're blank. Notice this. This is a one-way mirror, like they like in uh, like police interrogations. This is so they can get everybody who wants to watch the playtest out of the hair of the person playtesting. They don't want a bunch of people like crowding over them, asking them questions. They sequester those like marketing, business people, uh, designers. They sequester them in this hidden room so that they're not breathing down the neck of the poor test participant who's just trying to play a video game. Now compare how Sony PlayStation test their games this way to the show floor, which has a giant, like, glowing PlayStation sign. And look at these guys. Everybody who works there is wearing a PlayStation shirt, 
and there's a giant screen showing PlayStation games, like demo reels. This is not a controlled test. This is so influenced. And the reason this is important is when you are at your booth wearing the shirt of your company and there's like logos everywhere, people are going to be nice to you because they don't want to make you sad if your game sucks because they're like, God, they put spent all this money on all this cool stuff and all this marketing. I don't want to say anything bad about them because they're going to feel bad because they're wearing the shirt that I'm going to bash on their game. You do a controlled environment where it's blank and it's very quiet because then they give honest feedback. They're not intimidated by all this marketing that you're shoving down their throat. So don't do that. Okay. Now, look at all these PlayStation guys. Okay. Anyway, number three why you shouldn't play test on the show floor is because like trying to both be a marketer and like a scientist. You can't do both. So what I say is just be the marketer. Just like be the guy trying to pitch your game. Forget about trying to be a play tester. Okay, shows are also untargeted. Now, if you notice, this is the there's like a cafe back there, and there's like people coming down the thing, uh, the the staircase here or the escalator. Now, when they come down, they're gonna run by your booth. Now, if you harass them and grab them and say play test my game, you don't know what kind of person that is. That could be just some guy trying to get a hot dog, and he's not your target audience. He might not even like the game that you're making. Might not even like strategy games. Whereas this person is your target audience. But on a show floor, you have zero idea if that person, which person is the one that's right for you. You just don't. But when you have, um, when you did like a survey and you've gotten uh, close communication with your audience, you know what type of games they like. And so you can target people who are like on the fence of strategy games or very into strategy games. So this is, uh, this is why you should not play test on a show floor. So here's how to do it the right way. Okay. The thing is, we've always had this power, even before the pandemic. You could have always done this. We could always have playtested remotely. Well, I guess until Discord. So basically, use that survey. Remember that question that I said, uh, would you be willing to do a one-on-one -on -one call? Just contact us, those people that said they were game for it. Or if you don't have a good community, go to subreddits like strategy subreddits or sub, 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 subreddits that are very specific to your genre and pull people from there. Say, hey, I'll, I'll pay you 25 bucks an hour to, to playtest my game. Um, a lot of indies say, well, I don't have eye tracking software. I can't do all this stuff. Let me tell you, I was, I was a UXer for almost a decade. I did eye track testing one time. The amount of data you get outside, uh, like just doing, watching somebody play test is so valuable. You don't even need to do eye tracking. It's like sort of super advanced thing. So don't worry about doing the most precise user testing. Just watching somebody play your game and shutting up is like so valuable. So. What you do is you just set up a Discord and you just do a remote screen share with them. That's all you got to do. It's not hard. So here's the thing. Pay them if you can afford it. Uh, going rate is like 50 bucks an hour. That's just for their time. Uh, just do a remote Discord uh, screen share. Send them a build of your game. And um, I don't like to explain my game and say, hey, this is a strategy game or something. I like to let my marketing do uh, the talking because then I can test it if it's correct. So don't. I just show them the Steam page and say, hey, can you read about this? or I just show them some of the screenshots and stuff, and that's my intro to before they play test, because uh, you're testing your marketing. And then I do a tutorial. Um, when when I, I'd like to play test before I do tutorials because play tests tell you what you need to tutorialize. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll just write, out text them what I want the tutorial to be. And it's like it's called like a man behind the, the mirror or um, Wizard of Oz where you actually just pretend like you're the tutorial and you're sending them tutorial text in time with the game. And then you don't have to code up all this tutorial code, which is really hard code to write. Tutorial code is hard. Anyway, uh, there's a thing called Talk Aloud, which I, 
when somebody's playtesting a game, you have to tell them, say everything that you are thinking. And gamers nowadays know what they mean by this because they say, oh, you mean like a let's play? Yes. So just tell them to do a let's play of your game. And basically, you don't want to tell them what to do. So if they're going to ask you things, they will. They'll say, is this where I'm supposed to go or something? Shut up. You just have to shut up when you're doing a play test because you don't want to influence them. So what I do is anytime they ask me a question, I answer, I ask a question right back to them so I don't influence them. So if they say, is this where I'm supposed to go? You say, well, what do you think? And then you're going to hear answers because you want to know why they think they are confused or whatever. So always answer their questions with another question. So like if they ask, do you want me to build this castle? You say, what makes you think that? And then you're going to hear better responses from them. So always answer with a question. At the end, ask them, based on what you played, did the game match the trailer and the Steam page? This is just to bullet test your marketing. Because what you want to find out is, hey, uh, am I writing about this game the right way? That's super important. And then have somebody else watch. Maybe they'd be on the Discord, too, uh, on the screen share. And basically, you want them to write out what they hear. Because it's really hard to run a playtest and be listening for notes. It's just so hard to concentrate. And you're going to get quotes like, hey, this is like the Big Lebowski crossed with Civilization 2, which no game has ever had that, but it'd be a pretty fun game to play, don't you think? OK, so uh, sample size is fine for being small. You're going to find so much stuff, and you'll actually start to see the same problems come up again. So seven, six, seven people, you're going to get so much data. You're going to go back to your dev team. They're going to go implement it, and they'll come back for you. And then you can do another six or seven. But you don't have to do like 100 people. It can be really small. OK. So we've play tested. We've gotten some marketing feedback based on that. Um, you, I would recommend doing this constantly. So even that during development, you're going to be constantly doing that, looping, 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 and doing that over and over again just to really refine your marketing and your product. Now, you release the game. Congratulations. It's awesome. It did good. Um, you're going to have, you're probably going to do post-release stuff, what features you want to add. I want to show you what to do after release to get feedback about maybe if you should keep supporting the game, what features you should do. Um, this is where you do one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews, and this is where it's really helpful. But I'm going to show you how to do it so they don't lie to you. And it's not that they're negative. It's not that they're evil people. It's just um, they're trying to please you, and they want you to think that they're nice, so they're going to lie to you. So um, you are going to learn things that you didn't know that you needed to ask when you do an interview. Because when you do interviews, the conversation will shift, and you'll find things. Because the participants don't think that their life is amazing or different, so they just glaze over things. Like, oh, yeah, I found you on this site that allows me to rank games for money or something. And then you're like, oh, what type of site is this? And then they'll explain what type of site that is. And you're like, I've never heard of that site. What do you do? Why do you do it? And there's all these questions that you're going to find from that. And that's why I like to do interviews is because you're going to learn things about these gamers that they think is totally normal but it's totally like an amazing thing that is like a new marketing channel for you or something. So that's why I like to do these, um, these interviews. Um, here's how to keep them from lying to you. And it's not that they're mean or malicious. It's just that they want to be nice to you. So they're not going to say, um, or they're going to like talk about the idealized form of themselves. So the way you counter this is, it's like if you ask somebody like, oh, how often do you go to the gym? They're always going to say oh, like four times a week or something. But they don't. They, that's just the idealized version of themselves. Um, so what I like to do is you ask about the past version of themselves, and they're more honest about the past version about themselves. So that's how you get around this, um, this aspect of them lying to you in a nice way. Um, so for example, PVP. People always say they want PVP. They're going to say, can you do that? And I know it's very expensive to do development-wise, and so, but you're not sure if that's really what they want to do, right? Um, and 
so what you do is you say, oh, uh, when was the last game you played uh, PvP? And they're like, oh, oh, it was in high school. And you're like, oh, and who'd you play with? And you're like, oh, my buddy from down the street. Oh, really? And so now you have kids and your friend has kids. I see. So you probably haven't been playing a lot of PvP. And it's like, you're not trying to like catch them in a lie, but what you're trying to do is just explore why they said that. And it's probably like they wish that they were back in high school playing PvP with their buddy, but they know they neither one of them have time to do that. They don't have any friends who they play PvP with. And so that's why you're trying to explore it. it they don't, when, when you talk to gamers, they don't understand how hard it is to make a game. So they, everything they ask for is free to them. So they're like, yeah, I want open world. I want it to be PvP. And I want to be able to like simulate every single atom in the universe. And you're like, oh, that sounds like an awesome game. Great. But they don't understand how hard that is to implement. That's why you have to ask, what did you actually do in the past? And so typical questions I like to do in interviews are like, what were the last three games that you've played? So again, asking about the past. What was the last genre that you played? Like um, if you're doing a strategy game, what was the last strategy game you played? And what did you like about that game? Again, you're asking about what they did in the past and you're gonna get more honest answers. Because if you say like, oh, you interview somebody and you're like, oh, I love puzzle games. And you're like, oh, what was the last one you played? They're like, oh, Tetris on the Game Boy? And they're like, oh, so you probably don't actually like puzzle games. You just like the idea of playing a puzzle game. So again, that's why you ask about the past. Okay, um, careful with design by committee. I can't emphasize enough. Leave your designers alone. You're gonna find some features, give it over to them, but don't force them to do it. And don't use everything that these interviews generate as gospel. Okay, um, and all this comes, all of this that I've just talked about, I'm trying to teach you all, marketing's not about coercion. You're not trying to force people to buy something by just wearing them down. You're really trying to find your audience for the game you're making. You're like narrowing them down, and then you're just talking to them about what they wanna actually hear, right? This is what I've always been looking for, is what you wanna hear people say. It's like you are showing them a present that you got them and they didn't even realize that that's what they wanted. And it goes back down to this thing. Like Apes Plumbing didn't have to call me out of the blue and say, hey, you got any prob plumbing problems that you need fixing? They didn't. They reached me at the right time, at the right place. This is essentially what you're trying to do with your marketing. You're trying to reach people at the right time with the right message. That's my talk. If you like this stuff, I write a weekly newsletter. You sign up for it here, howtomarketagame.com slash free. And when you sign up, I give you a free book about how to set up your email marketing so that you get a nice big community on your email list. It's, it's really fun. It's a short book, but it's, it's full of information, very similar to this kind of stuff. So uh, that's my talk. Uh, I think I finished within enough time. Um, I'm open for questions. I'm going to stop sharing here so that I can answer any questions that you all have. I love talking about this stuff. So please ask away. All right, let's see here. Let's uh, do, 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 do. let's go down the questions here. Here we go. What if you're considering making a game that you believe is best suited for a platform that doesn't offer a lot of data, like the Switch? No user reviews and sales data is hard to come by. Yeah, and there are a couple ways of doing that. Um, I don't know the exact site. I think the text. Let me sit up here because the text is like right here. Um, they um, so with the with there are a couple sites and i i don't know the exact site because i haven't released a switch game yet um there are a couple sites that track the top selling list and those sites are um uh they they kind of try and estimate it i can't remember what it is i i, I could send it to you if you if you just email me uh, 
my email, I should put my email or my Twitter account, put uh, at AdventureMTN. Um, just message me later and I'll see if I can find it. But basically they, they show the top sales rank and they've kind of estimated what those are. But the, the other way that you could do it is just every week, try and look at the new release and the new Steam, uh, or sorry, the new release and the top selling and also filter by genre to see if you can figure out that. And then you can kind of see what, what those are. And then the other thing is like, if you see a game that's getting a lot of press, it's on Steam, reach out to those devs and just talk to them and say, hey, I saw you had a lot of press. I said, I released this game. How was your release? You don't have to ask them cold, hard money. Just say, how was your release? And then if they start going like, no, no, then, you know, like, oh, I didn't do so well. But really reach out to your community, uh, to the game dev community, see if you can um, get a sense of the sales that way. But it's really important just to keep an eye, uh, constantly checking the, um, the marketplace that you're going to be selling into so then you get a good idea for that. But thanks for the question, if that answered that. All right, here we go. We got something from Hitoshi Kano. What about games that mix elements from two genres to innovate? Should you cater to fans of both genres, or are you running the risk of not satisfying either? Yeah, that's a very tricky one. And this is where it's it's there's an art and a science to this one. I my personal philosophy is you should stick to your genres pretty closely. And that's just because of you're, you run the risk of alienating both groups. <laughs> you got nobody that likes your game because you have like two groups that are like, Ugh, it's got it's got cooking simulator in that in my RTS battler. Ugh. You know, like what, get that out of there. But this is where playtesting works, where you can go in and say, um, you show it to some people and you see what they feel about that. And again, target people who like one of those two that you're mixing and see what they think about it. And it depends, like, some people just lightly sprinkle the other genre on, and some people combine two genres that don't match. Uh, Ryan Clark, who made um, Cadence Hyrule, a roguelike rhythm game, talks about he likes uh, solving, um, using genre mixing that um, complement each other that solve design problems. So uh, this is more of a design question, not a marketing one. But you just have to be honest um, and, and play test to see if, what you those two genres that you're blending actually go well together. So um, you run a risk, but there are some rewards if you do get it right. But I I lean more towards sticking to a genre. Okay, here we go. Another one from uh, Nightwolf is offering playtest demos on Reddit. The most unfiltered way of playtesting. Um, unfiltered. I uh, I don't. If you could clarify what you mean by unfiltered. Um, oh, is I if you're talking about um, um, like I was talking about at the uh, the show floor where like people come down the escalator, you're like you don't even know who those people are. They could be somebody's like dad who doesn't like games at all. Um, with unfiltered, like okay, there's a couple ways you could do it too, and I didn't quite get into this, but you can also do a survey. Like if you go to a sub, usually somebody who hangs out on a sub subreddit, like I wouldn't post it to r slash indie games or r slash games. I would drill down to the genre that you're making your game for. The other way you can do it is do a survey for first and say like, hey, I'm making a strategy game. Would you mind just answering the survey? Because I'm trying to understand this, people who play these games. And you ask some survey questions. And then you get a sense in that survey, you've filtered out the people. Say like, how many strategy games do you play? And if they answer, oh, one, I've played one recently, you probably wouldn't contact that person for a play test. But if you find in your survey, there's a couple people who say, oh, I've played like every strategy game that's released in the last two years, that's your target audience and you might call those people in. That's why I like to do a survey first because then you can sort of see the type of respondents that you want to 
and then they are filtered. So I hope that answers your question. As in, oh, I see, unfiltered as in no bias, no mercy. Uh, you're gonna get people like, I, when you do, that's why you do like six to seven people. You're gonna find um, people will, like there are gonna be the jerks who like say everything that's on their mind. And then you're gonna find people who just say nothing. They're like, there's play testers who are like, they don't say anything. They're just like, yeah, it's game, oh yeah, nah. and And it's like, that's why you do a, a wide range because you're gonna you're gonna get a range of responses and it's up to you to kind of go through that. But I'm telling you, with playtesting, you're gonna find stuff immediately that you need to fix and feedback that you're gonna get. And it's you don't have to worry too much about bias, like, oh, did I bias them incorrectly? I just try it. It's not that hard, and you're gonna get so much great uh, information from that. So don't worry right, about here. it. Uh, in regards to the playtest versus Steam page slash trailer. How do games get approved of when they do not match? An example is Dragon Age trailer page not matching the gameplay. Uh, let's see. In regards to playtest versus stream, how do games get approved? Of it? Oh, like why would Steam approve of them if they didn't match? It's not so much that. Um, it's not that they don't match. Like, okay, so with games, they're very. Um, it's very hard to talk about your own game. Like, we are so close to our game we can't even see it like and there's so many genres and subgenres that we don't even know how to talk about our games and and find what's awesome and it's not like and the, when i say that the the genre not matching it's not that i'm saying like oh they pitched that it's a strategy game and it turns out it's actually a visual novel that's not it it's more like hey this is a um a platformer game with rpg elements and they think that it's RPG elements in this platformer, but really it's just that like, oh, you get to change your hats. And some designer said, oh, because you can change your hats, that makes it count as an RPG. It's just, it's not that they're being deceptive. It's just that they didn't know how to talk about their game and find what makes it an RPG or what makes it a platformer. It's, it's this marketing is, is, is a hard art. It, there's a lot of ways to describe your game. And if you don't, say the right words in the right way, people can misinterpret what you say to think it's a different type of game. It's the same thing with that farming. So the farming simulator versus open world survival, those are very similar genres. They really are very similar, but to a, a diehard, they really you know, are looking very for very specific words. And the difference between those genres are like whether you can farm or not. And that's a big difference to the people who like that genre. But to you as a marketer, you might not even notice that it's that different. And because we game developers don't know much about games, we don't, just don't play them as much as the real world. So that's, that's kind of what I mean. It's just, that's a very fine tuned way of how you describe your game. I hope that answered your question. All right, well, there is a couple more, but we've only got time for not that many. Okay, let's see here. Let's do with somebody that hasn't asked a question before. Um, with what about reaching communities that aren't a core gaming group? I.e., if your game is about a topic, the other communities might be interested in, but might not necessarily be gamers themselves. That's hard. That's hard. That's you know they they talk about. I mean, it's hard to get people to play games. So I I mean, as a business strategy, that's that's tricky because it's like now you're doing two things. One, you got to convince somebody to buy and play video games, and two, you got to convince them to buy and play your game. I, as a strategy, I like to just do one of those things, which is go to somebody who's already predisposed to wanting your thing and just saying, 
here's that thing. It's like, it's very, very hard and expensive to try and convince somebody who doesn't do something to do something. It's like, it's like the plumber, the, the plumber in the toilet. Like they are only marketing to people who are literally lifted up the tank lid. And they're not like calling up random people who don't have plumbing problems and doing that. So it's, it's really hard to reach those people. And that's what I'm trying to say is you should really, and that's that whole marketing product, the, the marketing mix, the four P's, you should try and target people who are already predisposed to playing and buying video games. Cause it's really hard. Cause then you'd have to get them to sign up for steam. You'd have to get them to like, um, find your game. It's really hard. So, um, I would really, really, um, suggest limiting that or <laughs> limiting the risk on that because it's very hard to get somebody to do something to get them to do anything, much less get your game. Okay. And if you guys, um, just message me on, on Twitter. You can ask as many questions to me on Twitter. I'll, I will answer them. Or I'll hang out in the after. That's what we do, too. Yeah, Discord. Yeah, in the Discord. Discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. Uh, here we go. Uh, demos on Steam. What, what What's your take on demos? Um, I actually, I, you know how I like playtest? I, 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 I do whatever I recommend. I... Um, I have a game that's free on Steam right now. I'm trying that demo thing too. I think it's good. I um, uh, there's ways that you can do it. I wrote actually a blog. If you go to my blog, howtomarketagame.com, I actually wrote some stuff up on on how to do demos. I think it's good because it gets people just to play it. And it there's a whole thing of like how much you do in the demo, like how much of your game you give away. That's a whole different art. But I think it's good just because it gives people the chance to play it and then. Uh, they go install it. And then what really what it is is it's a way to drive wish lists because wish lists are king on Steam. So you're trying to build your wish list by giving a free thing away, which I think is a is a great way. But there's lots of ways you can do it. But I I'm right now pro demo, but I know a lot of people are doing it, so it might become an oversaturated market. I, I like playing a demo. See, I, look I, at that. That's that's a good test case. Yeah. Uh okay, we'll hit one more. Taylor, what are your thoughts on Patreon to grow your audience and community? Um, growing your audience and community, those are kind of two different things. So Patreon is, there's this thing called the funnel, which is like people who don't know about you all the way down to people who would actually pay you money for Patreon. So, um, Patreon, I don't think will grow your audience. Basically what Patreon is, it's this little thing at the very bottom of the funnel for all the people who have interfaced with you all the way at the bottom will actually pay you money. So it's not going to grow your audience. This is going to give you a little extra in the end. Like it's just going to give you some of that money. So I don't think it actually does very good at getting people in there, but it, it can make you some money. I I haven't seen too many people actually do successful stuff on Patreon. Like game designers fund a lot of stuff on Patreon. I just haven't seen the numbers there. I I'm more more pro, like it. It seems like a lot of work for not a lot of benefit on Patreon. But I I, I just haven't seen anybody that's done it. So for right now, I don't think that's it. I've never seen anybody really do anything good with it. But if you have an example of somebody who did an awesome job of it, send it, put it in the Discord. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see it. But I haven't seen that happen so far. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.